It's 4 a.m. somewhere, and that means it's time for the late, 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 late show. It's Ben and Matt with Fourth Time the Charm. Welcome to This Week, This Week, This Week, This Week in the News, sponsored by Fourth Time's the Charm. Alongside Matt, I'm Ben. Today's top stories. Celebrating 50 years in our homes, what kicked off the video gaming revolution, and how will collecting continue to shape its past. WWE breaks records with their latest Money in the Bank premium live event. Have they finally discovered the winning formula? And Matt with the weather. Matt, how are you doing this fine, fine morning, afternoon, evening? I'm doing wonderful. It is great to be here in yet another warm Chicago, Los Angeles evening, and I am ready for the news. This week has been a growler with the weather, but we're here, we're smiling, and we're ready to present... Remember, this week's show is sponsored by our biggest fan, Brennan. If you would like to be our biggest fan, please use the passcode this week, this week, this week, this week in the news. <laughs> and now to discuss the history of everyone's favorite side activity, let's go down to the streets with Ben. Hi, I'm Ben. I went go. to Las Vegas over the weekend. We're in the streets. And and I spent far too much money on getting some of the rarest video game collectibles I've been able to get my hands on lately. That and, is fascinating, uh, young man. Can you tell us how long you've been collecting video games for? Since 2009-ish. What really sparked your initial journey? Oh, this is... Oh, we're still committing all the way. Okay. Oh, what are you talking about? We here at Fourth Times the Charm and our news sources, we are committed to news at all time. Now, we're on the field here with you in Las Vegas to talk about your dedication to video game collecting. So I'm curious, Benjamin. That's Can I call you Benjamin? No, you can call me Benjamin or you can call me Ben, but you can't call me Benjamin. Ah, yes. All right, Ben. How can you frame your interest in video games now we all know video games might lead to some violence out there in the streets but i'm sure you seem like quite a dapper young man so i i I started collecting uh, the first collectible adjacent game i ever got was wwf no mercy on nintendo 64 because for some reason in like 2005 they had a wall of wwf no mercy new in box that for some reason they just hadn't gotten rid of and it took up a whole wall and i took one of them and my parents are like oh yeah we have a bunch of old video games you you want us to get the n64 out and from oh. then on i was hooked uh i i love just like shitty looking graphics from the nintendo 64 era i love the history of things especially video games And one of the things that's very special about video games nowadays is that we're just now hitting the 50th anniversary of commercially accessible and available video games. You heard it here first, folks. You heard it here first. 50 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, Before that, in the 60s, uh, there was uh, Computer Space or Space Wars. There was uh, Tennis was for Two. That was an example. That was essentially a sample of Pong from I was gonna the say, 50s. When, when was that Pong number we all knew and loved? The, uh, I, I think the earliest electronic game ever was X's and O's. Wow. Um, but I don't know if that actually had a visual component to it or not. I can't quite remember off the top of my head. 
but the first commercially available video game was not Pong. It was the Magnavox Odyssey in 1972, or the first mass-released game, like more than 1,500 units. Uh, and the Magnavox Odyssey was a discrete logic-based game system, uh, which is it's it's complicated to try to explain because it's uh, not information that unless you're an engineer, you're very used to. Uh, yeah, we we I, here at Fourth Time to Choose aren't really catering to our engineer community out there. But if you are, remember, we love you too. Back to you, Ben. Okay, this is getting quite strange. Uh, but I found a great forum post that explains how the original Magnavox Odyssey works. And I do have a point to this, so bear with me. No, uh, we're here all day. Unlike modern-day game systems, or really game systems that started in like 1975-ish or 6 onwards, there is no CPU or code as a part of the Magnavox Odyssey. Uh, it is a discrete logic state machine, and I'm copying this from uh, his name's Retro Rogue on the Atari Age forums. So, so thank so, you for this. So is this is is what we're getting at here something that's more of a interactive computer experience than a game necessarily? No, it's still a game. Hmm. It's... Continue. <laughs> The, quote, the Odyssey is a discrete logic state machine just as all pre-CPU arcade games were as well. The game itself is done directly through circuitry that represents different aspects mm. of the game. Example, in Pong, you have a circuit that generates a paddle, another for the ball, another to change the direction of the ball, etc. The current state of any input device, such as the paddles, changes settings which affects the overall state of the entire circuit and how all the parts interact as a whole. In the case of Pong, again, it affects the motion circuitry of the paddle. With the Odyssey, you have the need to play multiple games in this format rather than just a single game as in the arcade. So the multiple games were each designed separately and then and then eventually put together with common logic circuitry blocks. So, so Each of these was... blocks reside on a circuit card inside the Odyssey, which they framed as interchangeable cartridges, and interact with each other via the circuit setup with the jumper cards so this so, is this, this is more of an analog experience than it is necessarily a digital experience you know yes. in, in, in in regards so far to our analog computing versus our modern day of digital computing yes exactly per uh, wonderful and so <laughs> what i i don't know whether i love this or i hate this i'm leaning towards hating this uh, this but this episode and this interview is brought to you by NVIDIA and fourth time's the charm. Remember to support the sponsors. By supporting our NVIDIA sponsors, you support us. Shit. They aren't, but they're our sponsors nonetheless because it's the first piece of computer equipment I saw in front of me here at my interview desk. Now, Ben, continue to tell us the history. So anyway, fun fact, the Magnavox Odyssey actually came out a few months before Pong did in the arcades, which means that the home video game industry on a wide scale is actually older than the arcade video game industry which is where i find quite now, interesting now 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 to dig in a little deep here um wh how do you in the history of video gaming and gaming in general do you differentiate between like carnival games like where you throw and knock stuff down or you like you shoot at like a screen or you you throw the balls up the thing and the horses run faster based on where you inputted the device is there a real delineation within the community on this fact so that that's an electronic game i like hmm. in a 
video game as to something that requires video. So it has to require a digital screen for it to fall into the category we're speaking about here. It needs to have graphics on Mm. a screen or it needs to be something or, or, you know, for text-based adventure games. I think Some of my favorites. I think those would qualify as video games but like i think that's that's the borderline because it's still something that requires you know you can't really do that type of computer game so 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 how how far are we at this point you know we're we're ahead of of text-based adventures and we're we're at this um pre no no this is this is pre text-based adventure games like this is like on par with the earliest text-based adventure games. So when when where are we in relation to the release of a game like Adventure? That was 77, I think. So okay. 5 years later. So, uh, so anyway, the, anyway, so you're you're asking you're asking the wrong questions. <laughs> well, I I'm an interviewer. You're a guest. I'm sorry Is this how it feels to be on Fox News. I'm sorry if the fourth times the charm policies don't don't confine to your narrative. This but is we hear we we hear we seek out the truth. Now continue to expound upon your glorious knowledge. So, um so 1972 the Odyssey comes out, Pong comes out. There aren't a lot of big uh introductions to the gaming space until 1975. I was wondering why the Magnavox Odyssey was a big success, was a moderate success in 1982, uh, in 1972, 1973, 1974, it was starting to fall off. So in 1975, we saw the first big hardware revision, which mm-hmm. was actually a simplification of the original Odyssey. Uh, Ralph Baer, who designed the Odyssey, wanted to simplify the design to... Uh, to make it simpler to use instead of having all these different cartridges. He wanted to create a single chip that would be able to do everything. Uh, Unfortunately, he wasn't able to get that on time. And so instead, he created a very limited run of Magnavox Odyssey 100s, which has two circuits that you can swap between to play handball or i'm or i'm sorry to play between tennis and hockey man it really seems like video game developers are trying to tell you players to get out there and get active and which because it's based on the original logic of the magnavox odyssey and the fact that it has less games than the original odyssey this would make the odyssey 100 i believe unquestionably the simplest video game home console of all time wow yeah uh it was created extra it was created in very small numbers uh because pretty soon afterwards they were able to combine the two games onto one computer chip which would release in 1975 as the odyssey 200 and at this point it probably all fit in about a megabyte way less brother way less we'll get to that uh but the odyssey 200 was the first in the Odyssey line to include scoring. Because beforehand, you had to score on the console itself uh, because they couldn't store numbers on it. In my day, we used pen and paper. 
Instead of storing numbers, though, they instead had a little two white blocks at the bottom of the screen, and every time you scored, it would move to the right. Oh, numeric visualization. What a useful tool. Yep. Uh, so, anyway, long story short, uh, I got an incredible deal on this at uh, the local game store called A Gamer's Paradise uh, in Las Vegas, right outside the Strip. Uh, and Not it was a sponsor. Just, not a sponsor, but a very cool store. They're selling all of their shit right now. So if you like retro gaming and you're around there, you should go out there. Cause Don't they typically putting... sell everything they have? Not this one. They've oh. had shit on their walls that have been hanging there for years. So I... there's, t- there's typically like a showroom vibe to the experience of visiting, but now everything's available? I like to think of it more as the guy is a hoarder. Ah, um, you heard it here first. want to sell his fanciest things. But uh, what's good is after two years of seeing it in the store and asking them if they could put it up for sale, I finally got one of my holy grails of video gaming. The very first video game system 3D headset accessory ever made, the 1982 Vectrex 3D headset. That is almost characterly breakingly cool. Yeah. But we here at 4th uh, Time to Charge News stay on task. Tell us about this headset, Ben. So uh, this is the third video game related uh, 3D piece ever made. Sega created the first stereoscopic 3D game, um, I think the year before, I, I think in 1980. And then in 1982, the Playtronic 3D uh, game came out, which were like simple LCD games that had a 3D depth uh, to them. Uh, But this is the first actual like 3D headset accessory for video games. So I would say like the first fully fledged way to wear 3D in the home space. Um and it works, which is even more wild. The way it works is that as opposed to using LCD displays for game systems like uh, like the Oculus or the mm. equally competent Virtual Boy, the Vectrex 3D headset uses analog stereoscopic 3D. And what I mean by that is they take the Vectrex color wheel, you slip wow. the disc into the headset, And when you start playing the game, it kicks the headset on and it starts spinning the red, green, and obscured uh, disc in front of your face rapidly. That's disturbing. It's kind of intimidating when you do it. I I really want to try it. Yeah, you absolutely need to. Um, we'll have to have you bring it down to the studio, <laughs> but the, but the 3d works like it, it doesn't create pop out 3d, but creates a sense of depth. It also introduces colors to the Vectrex, which is something that if you've played the Vectrex, which is a, you know, vector based only black and white game system, it's a very welcome addition. Um, and all things considered, it works pretty damn well it works better than pretty much any of the 3d i've seen in the 90s um it's not as intense as the virtual boy but the depth is but like it doesn't hurt your eyes as much it's not as overwhelming as some some people have said 
but i mean it's super cool um that's fascinating that is absolutely fascinating now how how is popular... there like a safe word to get you to stop doing this because this i is don't just know what you're talking about i i Can am we, here I want off as mr bones's wild ride Ms. banana Ex- excuse banana? me excuse ben this is an interview if we're gonna is continue... brennan the safe word Brent, I, Brennan's the biggest fan of Four Times a Charm. Thank you for mentioning our biggest fan. As I can tell, you're a dedicated viewer of our news program. Okay, I'm just going to try and muscle on here. Uh, anyway, what I think is interesting with the video game space, part of this was just to brag about this because I've been tr- I've been lusting after the 3D headset for years now. It's a true um, find. Newsworthy, some would say. And Shut up. Um, and it's... Uh, <laughs> It's the the three games for it are are, are pretty cool. Uh, it was released in 1984, right in the middle of the video game crash in America. So you could tell Oof. that these games were rushed out to market. Um, and I just like what, what, I, what I think 3D. is special about all of this, and and the point that I've been trying to get here, why I've been attacked by by whatever the hell is going on here. We do not do attack based media on Four Times a Charm. How dare you! is uh You're not like the other networks video games are the one medium where it's still young enough and it's still not being taken seriously enough by in many ways to where you can get some of the earliest bits of video game history still for very affordable prices the the odyssey 100 is I mean, it's a few hundred dollars, but I got mine for 40 bucks box. Like the deals are out there. Um, the, the, the very first handheld, uh, very first video game handheld is objectively the Mattel auto race handheld. Guess how big the file size needed to be on Mattel auto race. How much did they have to work with? Now I'm, I might be our, our, our entertainment correspondent, but I am no techie, but I'll do my best here. I'm going to go. You already said it was less than a megabyte, so I'm gonna. I don't know what's smaller than a megabyte, <laughs> uh, but I'll say I'll say a quarter of a meg. Five hundred and eleven bits. Oh, that's very small. That's aren't there a hundred? Aren't there a hundred bits in a byte? And a megabyte is a hundred bytes. It was they. They took a basic calculator from the seventies and they made it run a video game. You know, it truly astonishes me that that happened less than 50 years ago. And our cell phones that we have now have the operating capacity of what would have been a supercomputer at the same time. Handheld video games are 46 years old. Man, glad I got that number in. It is insane. Yeah, there's uh, if you're looking for something else, Waddington's 2001 The Game Machine, which... No one online talks about this. Like, I've looked. Nobody. And I'm 99% sure it's the very first handheld game system with multiple games in it. You can't swap between them. That wouldn't come until the... Yeah, it's multiple games on one. I mean, it's a lunker. But technically speaking, it's battery-powered. You know, you don't need a TV to play it. Yeah. Uh, There's the... experience. Yeah, there's the Microvision from 1979, which is the first uh, handheld system with interchangeable cartridges and also features the very first uh, uh, handheld video game, the first handheld video game cartridge 
that's based on an IP, which is Star Trek Phaser Strike. That's cool, actually. Yeah. My, it's, it's... My, my first branded video game experience was at Toys R Us. I was able to purchase a SpongeBob with a SquarePants joystick that had a uh, coax cable that would connect to the TV and then you could play. It had like four games on yep. that little joystick yep. thing. It they was made fantastic. WWE one of those. Yes, I almost bought yeah. it, but I got the I got the SpongeBob one instead because I thought it looked well, funny. I I I have it. Um, oh, if 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 you want to, we can play it sometime. You'll have to bring it down to the studio. We'll do a feature. Matt, I'm so sick of this. I am like I am like I'm like shaking in anger. Um. Anyway, so the I I guess the point I was trying to get at with this is that. It's a very young industry. It's not, mm-hmm. and, and it has a pretty well-defined starting point, all things considered. Yeah. It's not like... It's well-documented, even. It's well-documented, and it's something that, like, you can use. It's not like movies, right? Movies are only 100-something years old, or radio is only so old. But, like, you can't, you can't be like, well, I have a film canister from Voyage à la Lune. You know, it's like, I'm sure someone has it somewhere, but... It's not like it was something that was mass produced. You can own these things today. Like, I mean, you might need to shell out a thousand dollars for an original Magnavox Odyssey, but the fact that they're available, that they're there, like that's wild. Well, Cause that's as, the start of it. That's well, the start as, of everything. As a, as a species, we are, we are, we are massively fans of legacy media. Um, I mean, look, as you said, you can get something from only 60 or 50 years ago for almost th- thousands of dollars to this day. And you can buy texts that are uh, originally written 700 years ago for sometimes less than you can spend on a video game console that came out 25 years ago. Yeah, it's, it's insane. And what, what is especially uh, what, what's also important is that, you know, when you have games like the Odyssey 100, the original Odyssey, even the 200 that are discrete based game systems, you can't emulate that perfectly Mm-mm. like it's, you there, need there is the original recent... hardware because they were programmed uh, that specific way with punch cards or whatever mm-hmm. it, like it's you can analog nature of the device it makes yeah. it more unique yeah, there's that need... there's there's a, be- yeah, there's you a need belief the original in... hardware to be able to actually play it properly one of our tech correspondents explained this to me that there is a theory in, qu- in modern computing about uh, breaching another like level of com- computer capacity for users is actually a return back toward more analog devices, but developed in a modern complex way so that they can achieve tremendous goals. But within the analog setting, the results will be very difficult to re- uh, replicate in a digital setting. I believe it. I believe mm-hmm. it. Um, but anyway, that's my that's my uh, hijack discussion on. Uh, well, thank you so much, video Ben. Games. Thank you. I hope you're enjoying your time here in Las Vegas. Um, can you tell us? Can you tell us why you're here this weekend? Besides to to get some uh, a little piece of history in your pocket, what else brought you out here before we let you go? Well, I was also here for the WWE Money in the Bank Premium Live event. Wow! 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 Well, do, we'll do, talk... do you want to just talk about that? Well, hold on. Since let me here. Let me let me throw it back to my uh, my my co-host Benjamin in the studio and see if he we can actually get an extension on this interview. Uh, ben, for a live report, are, are we good to go? Are, is the is the community out there falling in love with this man as much as I am? 
Matt, you ignorant slut. You may continue. Wow. Such derisive words. Now, Ben, you've spoken to me so much more beautifully than that monster over there. How dare you? But, um, yeah, so uh, tell me about this premium live event that you were at. I'm sure it was full of betrayal and hatred. Uh, so, I, I've sworn off WWE for <laughs> so a long time. But I went to their Money in the Bank show over the weekend, and I think we've the people in fourth times the charm have discussed this to a point, but I feel like money in the bank was the full realization of WWE's new direction. Mm. And really the first new direction they've had since 2008 when they went PG. And it's that they finally, if I could, if I could boil it down to two things, it's one, a return to the eighties and two, they finally admitted that they're not here to placate the fans. Mm. And They've it's gone so full refreshing. How, 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 do you, how do you mean? How, how is it refreshing? Because the general demeanor related to the, the content being put out by WWE is a, a laborious, a weighted one with My no direction. My ears are bleeding. I'm sorry, Ben. But like, like how, how does this codify what has changed in your in your opinion about modern WWE wrestling? And are you saying that it's WWE actually the... back in the 80s? Yes. Everything was framed around the pay-per-view. Well, originally they were framed around using TV to get people to go to the live shows. But then when pay-per-view became such a big moneymaker for them, it became you had the weekly shows, which you didn't need to watch. Then they had the special Saturday night's main events, which were like mini pay-per-views. And those always fed directly into the big pay-per-view events. Isn't that what AEW does? With their like TV specials? No, their TV specials are more of like a side thing. Um, it's kind they, of your own unique kind of sphere. They, they, they haven't found like a really good place for those yet. Um, Blood and Guts but, is excellent. According to yes. our wrestling correspondent, Benjamin. Yeah, uh, Benjamin. Um... But, uh, yeah. So how does this... and, and so 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 everything will lead up to the pay per views. WWE, due to the Attitude Era, switched to a twelve pay per view a month format, which is mm-hmm. exhausting and draining, and nothing feels like it matters if you don't have hot stars like The Rock and Steve Austin. It just sort of feels like you're just trudging along, uh, and you get Going rematch after rematch after rematch. But WWE ever since they returned to the road last year, have been pretty quickly evolving into the new structure, which closely models that of the old era. You have your top guys. They are barely on TV. They barely wrestle. They can do live events, but that's it. That's your Roman Reigns. That's your Brock Lesnar. They are the main champions. They're champions for forever at a time. And no one really beats them no matter what you everything builds up to those guys and their marquee matches and everything else is really just window dressing you have your monthly specials which now are the other pay-per-views that are building up to the top four or five pay-per-views of the year mm-hmm. and, and then pay-per-views yeah and then you have your superstars equivalent of raw and smackdown which you don't need to watch every week if you do it'll be the same matches every week because the big thing about WWE is it's not about the stories. 
wrestling fans got behind certain wrestlers. And I feel like it was exacerbated by the fact that after WCW closed down and WWE became the only game in town, a lot of their stars just stagnated on the roster. In the mid-90s, you didn't get people uh, getting behind, you know, Rikishi Fatu because after a year or two, he'd be repackaged into something else. When you have Kofi Kingston, who's been Kofi Kingston from 2006 or 2007, for the for the next eight years, 11 years, 12 years, people just naturally want to get behind them. Yeah, the branding has changed. I mean, and, I mean our, one of our other correspondents has noted that there's even children's books on free web programs for reading in public schools that have books about specific characters in the WWE universe. That that doesn't really have any bearing on what I'm saying, but that's, well, that's good to know. But, no, but it feels like it connects to like you're saying that Kofi Kingston has been Kofi Kingston for so long. Like he's such a defined individual now that he has books about him for kids. No, no, so, no, no, no. You're, you're, you're flipping it. You're flipping am I making, am I making it good? No, no, you're just not paying attention to what I'm saying. I'm trying. What, what I'm saying is that because these guys have been on the roster for so long, people keep trying to will them into positions bigger than what Vince McMahon has in mind for them. And because they're exposed on TV so much, mm. what WWE kept saying for years is that you fans are the authority we want to listen to you fans but in reality they never wanted to they wanted the fans to listen to them and i feel like in the last year or so they've really stopped giving the fans that outlet with piping in cheers uh on their weekly shows essentially telling people who to cheer and who to boo for everyone who doesn't like the program they get to go watch aew now but on the main shows It's not about the week to week. It's about, oh, hey, you want to see Kofi Kingston in the New Day? Here they are. They're going to wrestle Sheamus again. And they've wrestled Sheamus every week for the last 16 weeks because they don't care if you watch every week. Because if you're able to watch that every single week and all you do is bitch about it, you're not going anywhere. You're they still want a people. They want people who are just casually flipping through channels or who are casually looking for something to do on a Friday night and think, oh, hey, we could go to the SmackDown. It's, it's like Ringling Brothers. Yes, AEW, I was going to say, it's a much more carnival presentation yeah, like Nightly News. Which is which is hilarious because Vince McMahon has always wanted to distance himself from that vibe. And he went full but, carny to succeed in the end. Yeah, but whereas you have an AEW that's closer to like a TV soap drama... Yeah, WWE is, has reverted back away from what guys like Vince Russo helped instill in the company, and they've become a lot more of a. This is a show. This is a live show, and you just happen to be watching it. And stories change, mm. but you don't need to know anything because when you pop up the pay per views, they'll have a video package before every single match to tell you what's happening. Well, then don't worry. On on weekly television, they also have an hour uh, of total of uh, review packages as well. Right. But if you're watching on TV, it doesn't really matter because they're assuming you're going to do other shit. The, mm. the, the they're fans in attendance a viewer. are a live studio audience who are paying to be there. 
Yeah. And when you think of it that way, it makes a lot more sense why things are the way they are. It's American Gladiators. It's the Harlem Globetrotters. Mm. Yeah, the fans are fine or whatever, but they're in accoutrement. Nothing they're... changes, but you always get a good show. Right. Nothing changes, but, well, not always, but... Well, yeah, but like, I mean, we've, we've all been to a bad medieval times, am I right? <laughs> but I just think it's interesting that WWE has well and truly, in many respects, they have fully moved away from pro wrestling. And that sounds like a dramatic statement to make, but it's, uh, no. but when you compare AEW that has its roots firmly in old school professional wrestling and you have WWE that presents everything like a traveling carnival. It's you know, yes, in a way, WWE is more like the old school carnivals that had wrestling there. But it's also it, it's also more of an athletic circus-like display. Well, even as the, opposed even the to a simulation more, of a competition. Yeah, even even the performers are more circus-like. That's like the type of yes. physique they seek out and and present the type of physique the presentation the character work the fact that you can have guys who don't and wrestle it, for months at a and time it's, it's funny it's it, you you described uh vince mcmahon as hating this this kind of style of carnival and wanting to distance himself from it but he's done everything in his power to kind of uh, condense it into his own his own product even though it is just riffing on what was yep wow 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 Tonight we you are you are really a full of knowledge. We should have you on to the show more often. I really hate this. This was a mistake. I, I'm sorry. I, I think our I've, I think our fans are gonna love our interview. I think with you. my eyes actually twitching. Like it's shoot twitching. Yeah, the power of news. Uh but anyway, that that's all I had to say on Money in the Bank. It was if you turn your brain off. If you just watch the pay-per-views, it can be fun. If you're inebriated, substantially better. But it basically all you have to do is stop caring about the wrestlers as if they're real people and start mm. treating them like they're characters. Now, 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 now to switch our focus over to a show that is all about real people. What did you think of this week's AEW Blood and Guts? So we still got you here in the beautiful streets of Las Vegas. Well, Dynamite this week just ended. Um, I, well, yes, but I mean, I mean, what did you think of Blood and Guts? I thought it was great. Fantastic. <laughs> you can smell pain sometimes. Now, back to our other host in the studio. Thanks very much, Matt. And now, Matt, with the weather. Hello, everybody. It's time for the weather. It is 4 a.m. here in Chicago, Illinois. It is 72 degrees with a 68% chance of rain. Wind is three miles is three miles per hour out of the east. Currently feels like 74, but man, that humidity is going to get you at a whopping 7, 87%. Now, we're only expecting about half an inch of rain, but it'll accumulate as the day goes on as we continue to get more and more. Uh-huh. Now. Yeah, what the fuck? What the fuck is wrong with you? I want my sandwich with double bacon. Does uh, this look like double bacon to you, you ben, piece of ben, shit? Ben, ben, Benjamin, your microphone is still on. Well, I don't give a shit. What? Oh. Oh, God. For a second, damn it. I was delivering the weather. 
Now, just like the tumultuous attitude we heard from Ben. You think that this is funny? Shh. Fucking kill you! You know what I'm I apologize, everybody. Sometimes the weather is rather vicious and violent. And, and for our and for our, our weekly regional report, we actually take ourselves all the way over to France. Now, in the 1970s in France, boy, was there a recession going on, and that led to some really wonderful <laughs> and interesting things. <laughs> oh, 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 our, is, uh, our, our French correspondent is here. Oh, 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 bonjour. Bonjour, monsieur. My bonjour. name is uh, Frenchy Frenchfort. <laughs> Just kidding. My name is Justine Ete. Ete is Francais for summer. Now, Justine... As we talk about the weather here, we like to talk about tumultuous times oh. in certain environments. Oh. Now, I had the now, tumultuous time in the bathroom after some fresh fromage. <laughs> can we get his brother back, Benjamin? Can 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 we get the normal one back? Hello, I'm his brother, oh. brother Brody. Yeah, brother, Hello. brother, 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 oh. brother, brother. <laughs> it's wonderful to see you again. Oh. Now, uh, would you like me to be here, or would you like me to be here? <laughs> no, no, I prefer, I prefer brother Brody. I, I much prefer your presence than. I'm sorry to. I, I don't mean to insult your brother. He's a wonderful gentleman. Oh, uh-huh, you have. I was just throwing you fucking pig. <laughs> Now, Please what can continue. you tell me about the uh, artistic nature of France? In what the context? In, in context to their desire to continue to push art forward. They have lots of art museums. Wow. I don't know. You need to give me more than that. I was excited for a little soliloquy there, but fuck you. Now we're, we're a cultural epicenter of the arts. Yes, you are. Thank you. Now that cultural epicenter of the arts has led to a lot of development and a lot of expression within the art field. Uh, France is well known for its influence in in multiple modern movements. In the 1970s, um, coming out of the war, France was in a very unique place and was experiencing an economic shift that was rather stormy. Now, in that same time period, we saw a growth in French film. And I, I know you over here, Brody, are a film lover. What can you tell me about the 1970s and the 1980s in the so French actually, film scene? The, so actually, the, uh, you, you are talking about the, about the French movement, uh, the French New Wave. Oh. But the, but the uh, hold on, let me speak in my American voice. <laughs> oh. So the French New Wave was sparked by the Italian New Wave, which that came immediately after World War II during it for filmmakers to highlight uh, what a sorry state the Italians were in after the war ended. Mm. Uh, they were general, they generally featured uh, regular people, not actors, and lightly simulated uh, circumstances. Sort of like a cross between, a, I guess, sort of like the original version of reality TV. Was it? Where it's was real it kind people of... in real places, but the situations are, are, uh, are, are heightened for filmmaking. Was, um, was, it, was it like cont- a response to the, fa- the the oppression of the fascist times in Italy that kind of forced into this more 
intense I, I was presentation. Very potentially. I was taught it was more of a uh, way to highlight like how much things sucked. But, you know, mm, yeah, it's, well, it's, yes. it's, it's pretty similar. Um, on uh, So that was in like the 40s into the 50s. The French New Wave actually started in the 60s, uh, I'd say. Um, and not the 70s, although it continued into the 70s. 80s, it was still there, but it was late. And by that point, it was already starting to get adopted by and uh, new, American and new, filmmakers and new new movements were going to come but, to the eighty uh, to the France in the eighties, but we'll but get to anyway, that in a moment. The, the the French New Wave is essentially Italian New Wave, but more exciting. Um, they rejected the the big band, big musicals of American uh, filmmaking, and instead mm. focused on much smaller and much more realistic depictions people uh, not necessarily even of situations as they were oftentimes uh quite existential and quite deliberately uh opaque uh but um i think uh, i think what you're, you're describing is is rather interesting because just like a tornado here in the weather everything kind of goes in a circle and we see this same evolution occurring in the 1980s when it comes to the music of France. Now, one of the largest and most extreme and underground or avant-garde movements within the French French music scene in the uh, late early 90s and 80s was the French black metal scene. Now, there were many many bands in, independently. En français, it is pronounced le metal noir. Yes, thank you for the translation. Uh, Music in America at the time, especially in regards to the death metal and what was considered extreme, was becoming rather lackadaisical and fun, almost as some might call it life metal. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'd prefer not to use such insultory terms, um, but trash, thrash is trash, and the, the evolution of metal needed to be intensified. Now, as, as many of our viewers know, the Scandinavian scene... Uh, was incredibly influential around the world. But even the most surface level of us black metal fans out there know that the French scene and the French sound has its own unique flavor and taste There to is it. a lot of gatekeeping in this weather report. There is. Um, it, it, and, and similar to a lot of the artwork, what made the French expression so much more interesting and, and very unique was that the expression of the extremist mindset and extremist kind of musical presentation was very ins was very self-reflective very depressive and manifested itself much more so in a in a personal uh expressions of this like misanthropic depressed life versus the externalizations that we saw in the in the uh, norwegian and scandinavian scenes you know with the murders and the church burnings um french black metal scenes preferred to kill themselves and do drugs because they were much more opaque and, and and brutal um due to their their experiences over the last you know 40 or 50 years now I burned down the church vans what i burned down the church once where and what church was it and who was you with <laughs> would you like to know <laughs> it was made of gingerbread 
As the leaders interpret, people were, were running out of their houses. They were screaming. They were going, oh, no, don't. Oh, no, dang. Oh, my little One of the most interesting things about me. art in France is its usage of impressionism and oh, character. I'm sorry. Do not similar, like it when I'm in character while you're talking about avant-garde performance. black metal. Of an individual who who is embodying these tones, uh, the, the French scene really sticks to it and forces themselves to to be very unique in their own expression. Wouldn't you say so, Brody? This is Justine. I have kidnapped Brody. Oh, oh man. Well, you know what that makes me think of, Ben. I mean, I Justine. Will, I apologize. I will make you love me. Just Justine, you know, there there's a real recession of quality and guest here tonight. And one of the things that I think is most interesting in the introduction of the French black metal scene. Now, I'm sure I might bore some of you out there, but it's the late 1970s uh, recession of the Western world. Um, the deep, deep repre- uh, um, recession and economic struggles of the, Fr- uh, of the French community, um, lower growth rates, rising unemployment, uh, one of these two substantially negative trends striving across the country. Uh, it changed the performance of the economy. It was clearly illustrated by difficulties encountered by the industry. Once viewed as powerhouses behind France's remarkable and sustainable post-war economic expansion, the sectors appeared to have lost much of their former vigor. Um, The climate was growing incredibly disenchanted over the management of the economy and increasingly widespread expressions of desire for change um, led to a lot of social movements and a lot of expressions of political, social, and uh, different, more... Uh, less than savory representations about the state of the country at the time. And following the election of a socialist president and social governor in the 19 in 1981, it kind of gave people a new hope uh, and a quest for solutions to the country's mounting economic and social problems. And I, I, I really feel as if this is a, a tremendously impactful part of what led to the French black metal scene uh, which unfortunately, um, and 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 the we can I think we all here at Fourth Times a Charm can 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 agree, and I, I hope our guest Justine here, despite the uh, real recession and character we got here, can can agree that uh, that, <laughs> that we do not support fascist ideals or, or movements, um, and despite their their representation, I in support this early certain movements, Nazi fascist movement, but how about you check out this movement? <laughs> Ha 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 I feel like a new I feel like a new man. Wow. Now that so has Matt, some mounting economic your, and social so, problems. So Matt, who were the people who were who were inspiring the kickoff of this movement? Well, if you could, what would the genesis point uh, of this uh, French black metal movement? Uh? The the general the general birth of it can be traced back to bands like Venom, who were playing with more extreme oh. sounds. Um, the 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 region scene and the black circle that existed uh, in that scene oh, is very frequently cited as like the birth of what came came to be uh, black metal. Um, but French black metal uh, has its origins in a town called Brest, um, <laughs> on the on the western coast of France, um, where the 
Les Legion Noir or the Black Legion formed. Le Legion um, Noir. La Legion Noir, as 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 Ben says it. Um, but there is also a a very interesting early first wave of extreme avant-garde musicians really pushing things that very very closely came to uh, personify some of the features we see in black metal. And those are bands like Skullface, Gorgon, Chapel of Ghouls, and Inox. Um, but in the uh, in the world of the LLN, uh, we had some of the most incredible. What the fuck is the LLN? Oh, the Les Legion Nior, the Black Legion. Uh, oh, you got to introduce the right doctrine of the name in advance so that we are not lost. As, as we continue to speak about this early phase of French black metal, I will regularly refer to the Black Legion as the LLN because that is commonly how they are referred to on the internet and it's easier to say. And it's closer to the French without saying it incorrectly. Mm. I apologize. Uh, I dropped something and I needed to pick it up. Now, here at Fourth Times of Charm, I want to bring you some of these early bands. And these, this is, uh, we won't go too far past the origins of the French black metal scene unless our friend Benjamin here, or uh, Justine, I apologize. I keep, I keep dreaming of my original co-host. Justine um, is 10 seconds away from snapping. I hope he does. Uh, the, uh, I, w- I would recommend that those of you out there interested in exploring this development of the black metal scene in France, uh, check out bands like Mutilation. Vlad Tepe's, um, Beliket, um, and there's many other members, but those are the primary musicians that uh, sit themselves at the origin of the LLN and the French black metal scene that we know and love. Now, back to Ben with sports. Today in sports, All Elite Wrestling Dynamite happened this Wednesday. John Moxley defeated... The incomparable Brody King for the AEW World Championship. And who won between Wardlow and Scorpio Sky for the TNT title? I'll answer you right now. That person was Wardlow. Wow. Another victory for Wardlow. That's all the time we have this week. Next week, penguins, birds, aliens, or something much more sinister. We'll find out. Maybe not the first time, second time, or third time, but hopefully, dear God, we'll find out when the fourth time's the charm. Good night, good morning, and somebody fucking shoot me. (laughs) We will.